is we're going to focus all summer on one of the three R's, okay? We're going to focus all summer throughout the 12-some weeks that we have ahead of us on real devotional life because we want to be a Chi Alpha that loves to spend time and abide with Jesus, amen? We want to be a Chi Alpha that loves to worship, that loves to pray, and then has a strong conviction of abiding with the Lord Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with our messages throughout the summer, and then we're going to end with worship. So we just we basically end our whole meeting together with a time where we're abiding with Jesus together in worship. We're just going to press in and focus on the presence of Jesus. Is that okay? Does that sound good? So tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. If you open your Bibles and turn to Luke 24 and join me. And we're going to go into our first message for the summer. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 24 verse 13. We're going to start here. So what's going on here is Jesus has been crucified. He has been um, resurrected, and the tomb is shown to be empty. But all of the disciples are basically scattered everywhere. They're, no one really knows where they are because there's like a verse in the Old Testament that really says it all. It says, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep scatter. And that is essentially what has happened. Jesus has been crucified. All of the disciples are freaking out because... All of their hopes and dreams for Jesus have basically failed. They thought he was going to be this military war leader commander who would certainly never give himself over to be to the authorities and would never give himself over to be crucified. And so Jesus has been crucified. Essentially, the disciples think that Jesus has been a total failure. And so because they're running for their lives, could you imagine your, your leader, your prophet, your teacher who you've been following under for the past three years, has just been killed a horrible, horrible way. Are you just going to stick around town? No. You're going to get out. So they, the disciples are dispersing. And so Jesus, in the very last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, you're starting to see stories of Jesus' resurrection and his appearances to each of the people that communed and that walked with Jesus. And so in this story, there's two Young men walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears in front of them. We're going to start in verse 13. It says this. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened since here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Isn't that pretty ironic, them asking Jesus, do you not know what has happened these past three days? And they, so Jesus kind of plays along, and they say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eye of God, in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. 
This all happened three days ago. Skip down to verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people! You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How many here say, oh my goodness, when you hear something like that? Verse 28, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, Jesus disappeared. Wouldn't that be so trippy to see that happen? Now, I want you to really focus on this verse 32 right here. This is the verse we're going to focus on tonight. Verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Jesus, we call upon your precious name tonight, God. Lord, we want to be a people that burn in our hearts for you. Jesus, we want to love you deeper. We want to love you more. God, we, we absolutely lay down ourselves, every part of us, God, to hear you speak to us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just fill this room? Would you fill this room with your presence? Would you dwell with us here, Lord, as we lift your name up, as we honor you, and as we worship you tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. What's going on in this scripture, this is one of the most fascinating scriptures, I think. Um, Ravi Zacharias, when he was asked, what, what scripture, if you were to see any scripture or anything in the Gospels, anything in the Bible, if you could choose to see live, if you could transport yourself to that time, to that place, what, and if you could choose any place in the whole Bible, what place in scripture would you choose and Ravi Zacharias says I would choose this place this spot where the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to these men and then unfolds all of the scriptures could you imagine sitting at the table with God and him unfolding every single Old Testament scripture every single verse every single story in the Bible and in explaining, these things have to do with me. You see Moses, see that story? That actually had to do with me, and this is how. You see Elijah, there's that story that you heard, the prophet, that actually had to do with me. Could you imagine Jesus explaining all of these things, not from a pastor's mouth, from his mouth? How incredible that would be. And so Jesus is explaining these scriptures, and these guys are getting set on fire, just listening to the Messiah, listening to Jesus explain the scriptures to them. But this, this verse in this passage, I think, really explains to us a state of the world that we live in today. You see, when you look around the world, when you see one of the, just one of the biggest problems that we see in the church today, whether it's secular or religious, when you look around the world today, you see a world that is numb. A world that is clueless 
and lifeless. A world that is walking around and they could be walking right next to Jesus and they would never know it because they're numb. Guys, I want to talk to you about this tonight because something very, very important about our ability to sense and feel the presence of God. Our ability to know what is the voice of God and what's not the voice of God is so very important. And it basically goes back to this. When we get into sin, what sin does to us is it numbs us. And it causes us to dull and it causes us to not feel anymore. Are y'all following me? These people walk around and they don't know that Jesus is sitting right next to them. There's this lack of faith. There's this lack of understanding. When the treasure of the universe is sitting right next to us. The world is so deep into the pleasures or whatever it might be or whatever sin or whatever selfishness that is in our lives. When you look around, I know you guys see it. We all see it. We live in this world. You see family members. You see classmates. You see friends. You see coworkers. We're walking around and you ever, so small group leaders, I'm talking to you. Have you ever asked someone to come to small group before and they're just like not interested at all? And you invite someone to church with intentions like you're going to experience the gospel of Jesus and you've got this excitement, right? And they're just like, yawn. Like, bro, like, just get away from me, please. I'm not interested. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And the, the deal with this, the issue with this is that it is what sin does is it not only it separates you from God, but it causes your senses to be numb, It causes you to not feel. It dulls your senses. It dampens your ability to sense God's presence. Sin is something that distances you from the heart of God. Sin slowly molds your heart and molds yourself to care about self over the kingdom, you see. It, It puts you in a place where you really would rather gratify yourself And you're really about your own happiness rather than God's happiness or his pleasure or his dreams, right? And I I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys understand this. But the Bible teaches something crazy about dullness. Another word that Jesus Jesus uses is lukewarm. Are y'all with? Y'all know that I'm talking about here? Yeah. He teaches that dullness or lukewarmness is far worse than outright rebellion. To be lukewarm in the book of Revelation, those of you who are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. I would rather that you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be fully cold and turned off to the things of God. Because it's that dullness, it's that numbness that creeps into our skin and we wake up in the morning. And some of us might be thinking that right now. When you wake up in the morning, you're going, God, what do I have to live for? Why am I even, why did I even wake up this morning? And there's, because there's this meaninglessness, there's this sense of, of purposelessness that creeps into our lives. And we look around and we wonder and we pray and we ask God, why is this happening to me? Why has this meaninglessness creeped into my soul? Why has this numbness, why can't I feel anymore? Anyone with me tonight when I'm saying this? The Bible teaches that this is an extremely dangerous thing to be numb and to be dull to the things of God. I always get very, very nervous and very worried when I 
am in front of a group of young people or I'm in a small group meeting and I ask a question about Jesus and no one's ears perk up, no one has any counter questions, no one's really interested in the things of God. I wonder why that is. When we look, when we hang around our friends, we invite them to church, we invite them to small group, we invite them to Chi Alpha, and there's this dullness when we say, are you interested in knowing Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? And there's this, I just don't care. We're going to talk about this tonight. These guys are walking along, and I want you to focus on what is happening here. Jesus is speaking to these boys, and something strikes inside their heart that starts to set them on fire. Have you ever been around a person with a personality that has completely like stunned you so much where you just have to keep hanging out with them? Yeah. Right? Probably, maybe the person sitting right next to you. I don't know. We'll see. But you're hanging out with a person. Their personality is like, man, like, did we just become best friends? Like, yeah. And we just want to hang out all the time. You want to do karate in the garage and all that stuff. <laughs> this is why I don't preach in church as often. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, but we, you become best friends because the personality in the, in the person you're talking to strikes you. And you're like, okay, we, we could hang out. We could really be friends. This is what's going on. Jesus walks up to these guys. Hey, what are you guys talking about? They don't know that this is Jesus. Some translation says that God has dampened, that God has kind of blindfolded them and they didn't know. God kept them from knowing Jesus. Other translations just say they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. That's beside that point, I want y'all to focus on the fact that Jesus is talking to these guys and their response by just being with his personality, being with him, they came to this point where they said, you must come home with us and hang out with us longer. Y'all follow me? They were so fired up. They said, he's like, hey, I, I got to get going. I'm busy. Like, no, 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 you can't leave. Come home with us and have dinner with us. You must keep speaking to us. And so the word that he uses is this, abide with us. In this translation that I read, it says, um, stay the night with us, it's getting late. Other translations use this phrase, abide with us. And this is what we're talking about tonight, is when you spend time with Jesus, even before you know who he is, he has an addicting personality. And the longer you spend time with him, the more time you want with him. Also, you see, when you get that abiding time with Jesus, you it's like it's it's like this sickness that comes over you, except a good kind. And you just need more and you just need more. You just can't get enough of being with Jesus. Now, there's many places in the Bible that people would argue where you see the disciples and the the span of their ministry with Jesus and they really didn't get it. And then you have things like this. Then you have things like Pentecost in the, in the first chapter of Acts where things click. Now call this the click, okay? Now follow along with me. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and kind of, yeah, I profess to be a Christian. And then something clicks in your heart, right? And, and your whole life really is not just about your Christian religion anymore. It really comes to be about Jesus, the person. Are you with me? Yeah. This is so, this was going on. A lot of people would argue, you know, Pentecost, that's where it clicked. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the disciples really didn't understand. And then Pentecost happened. Then they understood. But I would argue there's several moments where this click happens, where this moment 
happens where these boys, this is before Pentecost, these guys are walking with Jesus. He is unfolding the scriptures to them, and it just clicks. And they realize that we're not dealing with an ordinary person here. This Jesus was not who we thought he was. You see, we thought he was just a great great prophet, just another guy. But Jesus is so much more than that. I remember the moment in my life when something clicked. I remember as long as I've lived, I've loved God, I've loved Jesus, but there wasn't that click that I'm talking about until really later on in my life. It was probably in the ninth grade, but I remember my older brother gave me a book, okay? Now, again, I want to remind you, this whole summer we're talking about abiding with Jesus, a real devotional life. We're talking about spending time with Jesus in prayer. We're going to push each other to read books this summer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all ready to read books? Get close to Jesus? Because that's what we're going to do this summer together. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Daniel, I hate reading. Amen. Okay? Now, I have to share with you, I know exactly what you're talking about. There is no one on earth that despised reading more than me. I hated reading more than anything. To get me, especially like in junior high, to sit down, it wasn't so much the reading and staring at a page and falling asleep in like five seconds. It was the fact that I have to sit still for an hour and a half. Anyone with me? That's like the worst thing ever. We need to go outside and play and skateboard and break someone's arm on accident. Like we got to do something and have fun, right? That was me as a kid. Reading was the worst thing ever. And then I was hanging out with my mentor, the guy that discipled me, and he said, well, I don't read ever. And I'm going, that's not true. Your, your walls are floor to ceiling of books. He's like, he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I don't read ever. But what I do is I hang out with people. So guys, you know the secret to reading? You need to quit reading. The the secret to reading books, I'm serious, you need to quit reading. You need to stop reading C.S. Lewis. Instead, what you need to do is you need to hang out with C.S. Lewis. Because when you pick up mere Christianity, you're not reading. You are having a coffee date with the mind of C.S. Lewis. You are hanging out with his mind. Who has gone, his mind who has gone to places about Jesus that your mind has never gone. You see? So this is what I started to do. I stopped reading and I started hanging out with authors. And you know what? It changed everything. Changed everything for me. Because instead of sitting here and feeling like this is the most boring thing in the world, I imagine myself, you know what? I'm sitting in front of E. Stanley Jones, and he's telling me these most intimate stories of the mission of God in India. And I was on the edge of my seat. Seriously, reading these books was like watching Endgame by Marvel. I'm like, what's going to happen? Because I, I realized that I was hanging out with the mind of these people that were reading. When you read the scriptures, you see my point there as well. You're hanging out with the mind of God. You're not just reading. You see. Y'all with me tonight? The first book that shook me. uh, uh, Others in here will also agree with me. A a lot of the times when reading just starts to really get boring, I would submit to you, you're probably reading the wrong books. 
Okay? You need to put aside the books that are the super popular books that you're going to see at like Lifeway Christian Bookstore and that every single, you know, the, with the guy's big face on the cover and all that. You need to take those books. I'm going to give you some priceless advice. Take those book with that guy's gigantic face on the cover and throw it in the trash can. Nice. Don't stop reading it. Instead, you need to pick up a book like this. This is a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. And it was the first Christian book outside of the Bible that I honestly started to read. And guys, when I picked up Leonard Ravenhill, who was a, who was a preacher, a famous missionary, theologian, all from Britain, all over the U.S., he talked to me, and you know what? I left the book in the bag, and I'm going to read some of it to you. I'm hanging out with Leonard Ravenhill. Here's the book right here. Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. This book, so I had listened to so much preaching grow up, pre preaching growing up, like a lot of fluffy preaching. I opened this book to the first page, and he says this in this chapter two, the first sentence: "No man is greater than his prayer life." I'm going, okay. No man is greater than his prayer life, and I immediately am embarrassed because my prayer life is nothing to be proud of. He says, the pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shopping window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Guys, I would read these words and something inside me would stir up. Something inside me started to shake in me. And I completely was changed and set on fire from the inside. Something inside me about the kingdom of God started to awaken because I started reading these revival men and women that love Jesus and serve him with everything. Are you all with me tonight? Yes. Guys, Christ has a way of unlocking your heart from its prison. Christ has a way of going into the dullness and the numbness of your life and sparking something in you that's going to make you come alive and that you'll never be the same ever again. And see, tonight, some of us in this room, you might be just like I was years ago. You love Jesus deeply. Maybe you were raised in church, but there still hasn't been this click that's happened in your life. There hasn't been this defining moment where everything has shifted from living to self to living to Jesus. There's this click that happens that every single believer must experience where everything in your life stops becoming about you and starts becoming about Christ Amen. and his glory and his glory alone. Count Zinzendorf, who led the Moravians into revival, said it best when he said, I have one passion. It is he and he alone. Count Zinzendorf who led the revival to the Moravians. I have one passion, it is he and he alone. Guys in Chi Alpha and Rio Grande Valley, we need to come to a place where we say that and we mean it. There is only one passion, one ambition for me, and that is Christ and Christ alone. Yeah. Look at verse 32, guys. Go back to the scripture here. This is this verse I was talking about earlier. They said this, so Jesus takes them, they, they go eat dinner with Jesus, and then they're hanging out and he's talking. He's, they realize, wait a minute, I know who you are. And then he disappears. <laughs> so it's like, as soon as that faith in Jesus 
clicks in in that the I know who you are, basically that the time for his departure in the Holy Spirit is now here. Okay? And so this verse 32, after this discussion with Jesus, their hearts were so set on fire, they said this, didn't our hearts burn from within us when he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? So you tell me, what was it about this conversation that set them on fire? Feel free to answer, raise your hand, and, and, and speak out. What was it about their conversation that lit their hearts on fire? What do you think it was? Anybody want to take a guess? Yeah, they're having a conversation with Jesus, but what about? What, were their conversa- what was their conversation about? The scriptures. It was the word of God. It was his explaining the word. It was his explanation of the word of God that lit them on fire. It's the opening up of the scriptures. Guys, you know what being numb is? Being numb is not feeling whenever you should be feeling. When sin creeps into your life, when you open a gateway to something like that, sin is... It makes you numb, and what numbness does, it's, it causes you to not feel whenever you should be feeling. Being Christ-like isn't getting a handle on your emotions by, by forcing yourself to feel less. Now, a lot of people run into this trap. Is In order to have a mastery over your emotions and mastery over yourself, the temptation is that I'm just going to feel less. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but in your heart know, like when someone really hurts your feelings one time, a lot of times we're tempted to say, I'm not hanging out with you ever again because you hurt me, right? It's the same exact thing. It's you hurt me, so I'm going to protect myself by feeling less love for you. I don't want to be around you anymore because you hurt me, and if you hurt me again, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. Y'all see what I'm saying? But what y'all kind of read what I'm saying here is I'm saying that when you get to a point where you say, I have no need of you, you what, what you truly are saying is, you're, one, that's a horrible thing to say, and that's an unbiblical and a sinful thing to say. But you're saying, I'm going to choose to feel less. I'm going to numb myself down to I, so I care less about you. It's no different from racing to the bars to get drunk. It's no different from taking that drug. It's no different from any of that stuff. Why? Because it numbs the pain. It numbs you down. It's the same explanation to any of those addictions that we might run to. Because it numbs the pain that you feel on a daily basis that makes you hate to be alive. But you'll see that never-ending cycle. Do you feel that never-ending cycle that we struggle with? It's this never-ending thing is that you, you get that little bit of instant gratification and it digs the hole even deeper. But guys, feeling more, what Christ is asking us, feeling more is a double-edged sword. Okay, What Christ is not saying you need to handle your emotions by feeling less. What Christ's goal in you, when he enters your heart and he sets your heart on fire, he says, no, if you're going to love me, I need you to feel more. It's not burying your emotions and feeling less. Christ-likeness is actually feeling more and in the pain, in the fullness of the sorrow, in the fullness of the grief, 
and the fullness of that torture that goes on in your soul, you still choose to abide with Jesus. Yeah, I know, follow me. Some of us clicked and some others it didn't. What I'm saying, guys, is when we get close to Jesus, he beckons you to feel more, which means you will feel more pain, but it also means you're going to feel more joy, more peace, more satisfaction with him than you're ever going to have. When you get close to Jesus, you're going to feel more. Jonathan Edwards, who's known as the America's theologian, one of the, the, the preachers that led the way to the, great, the first great awakening. He was the president of Princeton University before it was even called Princeton. That's kind of cool. Jonathan Edwards was a revival, fiery preacher. I encourage you to read any of his sermons. He's a wonderful preacher. One of the best who's ever lived. <laughs> and uh, during the, that time with the Puritans, there's basically what we call legalism going on. And Jonathan Edwards was kicked out of his church because he preached against legalism. Basically what legalism is, is rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. And the church was so fascinated about the rules and so strict on the rules, he started preaching against stuff like give up your assigned seats and get on your knees and repent. And basically, they kicked him out of the church. And so instead, what he did, he started preaching from the hilltops and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people getting saved. Wow. Jonathan Edwards would read his sermons monotone. He would sit in front of his podium right here, and he would read his message just like this. And an hour would go by, and if I was doing this, all of you would be asleep. Because it's so boring to read monotone without really changing any inflection in your voice, you see. Jonathan Edwards would read his sermon like that, but the words were so passionate and so spirit-filled and filled with fire that people were reported to run out of the church screaming and begging God to save them. And saying, what must I do to, to have forgiveness from God? What must I do? How can I be forgiveness? How can I reach forgiveness? Is there any forgiveness for me? Because of the, 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 the hot, scorching words that Jonathan Edwards preached. Jonathan Edwards, when he was asked about this, he was asked about devotional life and ambition, said these words. He says, sometimes only mentioning a single word caused my heart to burn within me. Or only seeing the name of Christ for the name of some or the name of some attributes of God. The sweetest joys and delights I have experienced have not been those that have arisen from my hope of my own good estate, but in a direct view of the glorious things of the gospel. This sweetness seems to carry me above the thoughts of my own estate. I cannot bear to take my eye off from the glorious. This is that click that I'm talking about tonight. And Joy, you can go ahead and come back. This is that click. And your life goes from self and turns into a mad love for Jesus that you can't shake, that you can't get out of your head. You see, guys, what we're talking about tonight is Jesus, if, if you're here and you're experiencing that numbness, and you're experiencing that dullness. Guys, I used to hate summer. I used to hate the season of summer. Because all that meant is that I wasn't in school anymore. And I wasn't around my friends. And I never could seem to walk with Jesus the way I should have been. 
And there was this numbness and this dryness to my soul and to my life that I desperately needed to change. Guys, what we're talking about is Jesus is the only one who can make you come alive. It's not the next thing. It's not the next cool movie. It's not the next technology. It's not the next thing that's hip in pop culture, whatever it might be. Jesus is the only one who will make you alive again and will fill your heart with fire that will change you forever. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel was seen a vision. He was hovering over the valley of dry bones. And the Lord brought Ezekiel to this place in this vision. And he says, Ezekiel, look at these dry bones. And he asked him this crazy question. It's a whole valley filled with bones of humans, just dead corpses, bones dry as you could possibly imagine. And he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now there's a tricky question when God asks you something like that, because I imagine Ezekiel's winky prat and he kind of talks, talks it through like this. He's like, if you answer any of these ways, you could get in trouble. So you have to kind of be careful. If you, like, say, no, they can't live, look, they're dead, and it's like, then the Lord's saying, you doubt it, and he throws you down and kills you right there, <laughs> right? It's like, so you don't want to say no, but then you kind of don't want to say yes, yes, they can live, because that, that's like, the Lord would be like, you're assuming, and throws you down, and, and, and you die, and you'll never live ever again, right? And so Ezekiel says a pretty sweet response. He says, you know, Lord which is kind of tricky, but it's smart, <laughs> right? Lord asks you a question like that. Can these bones live, Ezekiel? He says, you know, O Lord. You know, God. Guys, when you're numb, the language of your heart is, I can't get out of this. I won't, I won't get through this. But really what you're saying is, God can't get me out of this. When you're numb in your life because of distractions, because of selfishness, because of sin, that numbness is a voice in your heart that says God can't. Could you imagine anyone in heaven ever speaking those words and getting away with it? When you're in heaven in the presence of Jesus, the only thing off of your tongue is Lord, you can. You can. Jesus can overcome. He has overcome these things that plague us. So Ezekiel's sitting in front of these bones thinking, how can the impossible be done? The only time and place, guys, where you're able to say these words, Lord, you can and you will, is when you are with Jesus in his presence, abiding with Christ. Guys, we need to be in the presence of Jesus. We need to be in the presence of Jesus. Let's stand tonight.